1: Welcome to the Victor Mark Show. I am not Victor, as you probably have already figured out, but hopefully by now you're getting to know me a little bit more. I am Jeff Teagues, the Chief Operating Officer for All Things Possible Ministries, filling in for Victor as he is traveling. And it's a great opportunity for me today to share with you Colonel Stuart Ferris. He is a decorated combat veteran with over 20 years in the United States Army and Special Operations and is currently the commander of the 1st Special Warfare Training Group at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. He and I are old friends. You're in store for a fascinating discussion. Stu, again, thanks for coming on the show. We always... uh, have interesting conversations. Usually a couple of different themes there are leadership and teamwork and jujitsu and combat and all of those. So I I don't have anything written down what we're going to talk about today. But uh, can you start by just letting our listeners know a little bit about you and what makes you tick, my man?
2: Great question, Jeff. First of all, hey, it's great to see you and thanks for the opportunity today. And to be quite honest, for your listeners out there and the people listening, I actually feel like I should be interviewing you uh, as opposed to vice versa. Hey, who I am again? Hey, my name is Stu Ferris, um, 47 years old, uh, married for about 24 years, been in the Army for about 24 years, um, have three kids. The oldest uh, is going to be a senior in high school coming up. Uh, my middle kid just graduated high school, and then my youngest is in seventh grade. So, again, I've been in the Army for 24 years, have been in Special Operations, Special Forces, Green Beret specifically. for You know, I went to Special Forces Assessment and Selection back in 2000. So, you know, going on 22 years now um, is my background in the military. I've um, had the great pleasure and honor of serving alongside guys like Jeff for a long time now. So anyways, man, it's been a long time and uh, since we've had a chance to chat and catch up. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation today.
1: Well, man, it's, it's fascinating to think about. You've been a Green Beret for over 21 years. So uh, l- share with us a little bit about what drove you to join the regiment, you know, what, what you felt you had to be prepared for as an individual, as a leader. And then obviously you ran assessment and selection for special forces for a few years. And now obviously, as you move up higher and higher and higher, you, you have more than a pivotal role in creating the green berets of today.
2: Sure. So your first question, why did I come in the army to begin with? Someone asked me this question this morning. at something we were at. And the honest, the honest answer was I was in college. I went to a small school in Western Pennsylvania was I didn't know what else to do. I was in college, but I hadn't quite grown up yet. And I was like, you know what? If I go in the army, if I do this thing called ROTC, it's going to buy me a little bit more time uh, to kind of figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. So it's like, Hey, look, it's, I can know I can go in the army for four years. If I like it, I can stay in. If I don't, Hey, I can get out. Um, And now I've got a resume and some other skills I've built and then I can go on with the rest of my life. So I actually entered the army as I was an armor officer, right? So a guy that rides around in tanks and things like that. And I went to my first duty assignment. Down at Fort Hood, Texas, which in hindsight was a very good assignment. I had the blessing um, of working with some really good people while I was down there. But at the same time, you know, people ask me, well, what led you to becoming, you know, going into special forces and being a Green Beret? And the only answer I have for that is like it was a calling. Like that's the only way I can describe it, right? It was this pull on my heart. And when I look back, I mean, honestly, you know, I believe it was a God thing, actually. That was kind of The lord said hey look this is what you need to do like this is where i'm taking you and you just need to listen it and follow it and that and and that's what i did but what it really was too at the time i would say it was the idea of working alongside like it's the group you know of, of highly motivated people that you could, you knew you could rely on, that were trustworthy uh, and dependable, in a small team, and then is getting assigned these extremely challenging missions and problems that you were going to be trusted and empowered to help deal with and solve. And I think that's what the attraction was, um, and that's what I was seeking. You know, and as I consider it, you know, um, by far within the military, that was the single best decision I ever made.
1: You know who I just talked to the other day was retired command Sergeant major Michael Hall. Yeah. I don't even know how to explain this. Like this, this guy is a legend. He's a ranger legend. He's a special ops legend. And, And we, we were talking about when he joined back in 76, man, but there's the commonality on this desire to do something greater than yourself, to partner with other folks that share this vision and mission. And then the other thing that we concluded was just, just service. You know, we, we are, we are servants and we serve our country. And I, I, I I think that can sound pithy sometimes, but it really is.
2: Your first question you asked, I think was, Hey, what makes you tick? And I think what makes you tick changes over time. Mm. And I will tell you, I can say now, like what makes me tick today and what has for probably the past five years, let's say, Yes, it's about serving others. It's about building the next generation, right? It's about passing the torch to the future special operators that we're going to have, that we produce out there. And, you know, we've learned a heck of a lot, as we well know, in the past 20 years. And shame on us if we don't pass those lessons on to the next generation so they're not making some of the same mistakes we made and learning things the hard way. You know, and a lot of times you know, we're, we, we think we're in the business, sometimes we are, right? It, ultimately of, of taking lives, like lives of the enemy, but it's also about saving lives, right? Like what we do should ultimately be hey, saving the lives of our people in the, in the next generation and passing that on to them. That's, that's what makes me tick these days.
1: Well, let me ask you something, dude, because, you know, I think one of the things that's entered my lexicon... Even even before I retired, was was legacy. Yeah. How do we leave a legacy? And your your sons are a little bit younger than mine, but you're at that point where you're not only trying to leave your mark, your legacy in the U.S. Army, in U.S. Special Forces, but but even with your boys, can you talk about a couple things that are are common between raising young men
2: and raising yeah. Green Berets? Well, a couple of things. I think first of all, when it comes to legacy, I think people. They, they want to think their, Hey, their legacy is their status. So whatever position they achieved at work or in life or whatever. And that's, that's not it, right? If that's what you're chasing, that's wrong. Like your legacy, like at first of all, I'd say like, Hey, good leaders, their legacy is the other leaders that they built, right. Um, coming up. And then the same thing, like as a father, like your legacy right there are your children. You know what I mean? That's, that's the next generation. So I have the benefit, right. Of where I'm at right now, which is really awesome. Like at work, you know, I, I see my legacy for what it's worth as again, just like grooming and passing the torch to the next generation um, and being able to mentor those beneath me for what it's worth. You know what I mean? And, and the other thing is this, man, I learn as much from them, if not more oftentimes than they probably learn from me. So that's part of it. Right. And then and then taking the life lessons I've learned this far and helping to pass that on to my children because they're ultimately going to be the legacy of my family. Right. And then raising them to be good patriotic americans right who love their country and equally important like you know they're caring and generous and kind and are servant leaders as well
1: so you're almost done with your career so to speak i mean you you haven't made the final decision but you're you're well over 20
2: yeah yeah Yeah, it's it's just waiting to happen here in another year and a half but you're but commanding
1: the first special warfare training group can you explain to people what what that all
2: entails yeah so the bottom line here's what we do we don't do the recruiting there's another element that does the recruiting but once these soldiers have been recruited um they volunteer for either special forces training which are green berets um psychological operators okay who do psychological operations you know they do influence operations and in media things like that and then civil affairs right civil affairs fall under special operations as well, and those are the people who really understand civil considerations and war and governance and those type of things. Anyways, people who volunteer for one of those three military branches, they come to us and we put them through, they're different, right, Um, an assessment and selection course because we want to make sure we're selecting the right people for these jobs. And then the other thing is like hey hiring mistakes are expensive. So we want to make sure we it's kind of the initial hiring process, right? We put them through this, you know, pretty grueling and, and you know, physical. A lot of people think it's physical and it is, but it's also mentally. And I can talk about it more if you want if we want to get the specifics of it. But uh, anyways, uh, we run the assessment and selection process uh programs for these three regiments and then those who get selected we put them through their qualification course so for example green berets go through about a 24 day long uh, assessment and selection course civil affairs and psychological operations because we're looking for different people theirs looks much differently what they go through it's only 10 days long Um, and then those who get selected Each of them go to about a six month long training course, which qualifies them to be entry level, either Green Berets, uh, civil affairs soldiers or psychological operations soldiers. So about six months of focused training. And then they go to four to six months of language school after that, because a lot of our again, that's where the skills we bring to bear is this regional orientation, cultural awareness and usually being able to speak a second language. Right. And so it's about four to six months of language training. So all told, it's about a year long pipeline that everyone gets put through before they go out to their operational unit.
1: Hey, if you're just joining us, this is Jeff Teagues filling in for Victor with the Victor Mark show. And we are halfway through our initial discussion with Colonel Stu Ferris, the commander of the first special warfare training group in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Stu, I think what we were uh, wanting to get at during this discussion was lessons learned. I mean, you've gone from the very entry level level as a special forces soldier and and trying to figure out what it took for you to get in there and be successful and now you're at the highest levels to identify what makes a successful special operations soldier.
2: Okay, so to answer that question Jeff like what makes a, a successful special operations soldier? I think we we know that, right? It's someone who's got a lot of initiative, right? And is a self-starter that doesn't, you know, need to be told what to do. I would say it's someone who has an uncommon probably, you know, level of grit, whatever we want to call it, right? Determination, resolve, perseverance, like people that just aren't going to quit no matter what the odds are um, or what the circumstances or the situation is, right? That's one of our, you know, that's a strength, but I'll tell you what I've learned over time. It can also be a weakness, (laughs) you know, like not knowing when to say when, but that's, that's us, right? Um, People who are smart, intelligent, you know, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist, I would say, but they'll tell on our end, like everyone's pretty much above us above average intelligence for sure. But you have to have good functional intelligence, right? Good social awareness. You know, you've got to have good kindergarten skills. You got to be able to work well with others. You have to have good character, right? You've got to be trusted to do what is right. You know, the proverbial do the right thing. You know what I mean? When no one else is looking. And the, the one thing I, I would also say that probably distinguishes, maybe, you know, SF and special operators from probably the rest are are, are people that are really comfortable operating in uncertainty in ambiguity. Again, that can get put into kind of uncertain, uh, ambiguous situations, let's say, without a lot of guidance, but you can figure out what needs to be done. And you're actually comfortable in like those kind of uncertain and chaotic environments where others aren't. And that's okay, right? Some people just aren't cut out for that. Like some people want certainty, like they're comfortable, like being told exactly what to do. And hey, here's your... Checklist, hey, check off all these blocks, boom, 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 and you're and you're done. But for us, we kind of like the autonomy and we're actually comfortable in uncertainty, having to wade into that and having to navigate uncertainty and then figure out, you know, the solution at the end, like being problem solvers. When it comes to assessment selections, it goes back to that. Like the first question you got to ask is what are we looking for? Like what are the qualities or the attributes of the people we are looking for? One. And then two is like if this is what we say we're looking for, how are we testing for them? Right? So you've got to design something that tests for what you're looking for. Then the other thing is this, you've got to determine, I think, like what do you want the people to bring naturally or intrinsically versus what is trainable? Because we've learned over time, I think, at the end of the day, a lot of the skills that are required or even the attributes to a certain degree actually are trainable. But you only have so much time to train people. You know, if you only have six months to train people to get them to a certain level, they've got to come in with some baseline attributes and qualities already. So you have to determine like, hey, these are the skills that we're going to buy up front. And that's what your assessment and selection is for. This is the raw material. This is the wood that we're going to buy to build the house. Now, our training courses, now is where we're actually going to build the house. We've already selected the good wood, right, to to build whatever it is. But you got to know what kind of house you want to build first and what kind of materials you need. And that's kind of what your assessment and selection is for. And then, once you get the right people, you can kind of train them then to get them to where they need to be. And that's kind of the philosophy behind it all. So, the other – some lessons learned, though, I think, you know, it's one of the secrets of life. Keep it simple. Sometimes we can't help ourselves, right? We always want to make it better and invent a better mousetrap. You know what I mean? And we end up layering more and more and more and more. And over time, it's like boiling a frog. You know, what we call it is creeping excellence. You know, and it's always well-intended. It's always well-intended because we always want to make it, the you know, the best process possible. But What happens over time, you start making it so darn hard or whatever that you're not even going to be able to find the right people in sufficient quantity to do whatever it is you need them to do. You know, but... um you know, knowing what it is you're looking for and then reducing it to the simplest method possible to kind of test for those qualities, whatever they may be. I think that's, that's the way to do it. Well,
1: I, I learned a new one, man. I hadn't heard that term before creeping excellence, which is fascinating. There's the first time I've heard it. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to define it. And it's, it's this desire to 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 make things better than the way you found them Mm -hmm. and yet it has with overachievers it has the the negative effects of, of of creeping its way out of reality the expectation management becomes out of whack
2: yeah exactly i like that
1: you know and we it was one of those things excellence uh, is the standard. You know, that's the standard I've always tried to achieve with all things possible. Our, our, our standard is excellence, yep. not perfection. And when you, yeah. when you stop and, and realize you're pursuing perfection or you're expecting perfection from these people that you're working with, that's creeping excellence. I, 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 I love that one. You got any new terms for me? I love that one.
2: Truth and lending. Like I stole that from command star major, Bill Thetford, Really? Many years ago and he got it from the Brits, you know, because the 22 SAS, I think learned it there. They've shared it. Right. Cause they went through this process many years ago where they started just adding too much stuff. Right. And then they ran into this problem. Oh my gosh, we're having a hard time selecting people these days We're getting through a training course. Cause we've set the bar way. T- and it was all well. And again, it's like bullying a frog. It doesn't happen at once right? It's, it's one thing here this year. It's another thing the next year. It's another thing the year after that. Well, five or six years later, now you've built this perfect machine, right? That's again, it's like the best is the enemy of good enough sometimes. So it's, it's knowing like what the right threshold is and Hey, we fell victim to it in the special forces qualification course here because what happened the same thing over time, Um, You know back when we went to the course in the early 2000s, it took you again was about a year long to get through including language school And we know that's about the right time. Well, I should say we've relearned that Uh, But beginning in about 2008, I think you know, what I mean we started layering in additional phases Things here things there. Well again by 2015 2016 it was taking two years two years to get through the course and that was if you got through it in one try if you recycled it was taking two and a half three years so think about it real quick. Like if a guy or gal was going to spend twenty years in the army, twenty you know twenty year career we call it whatever that would have meant one tenth at least one tenth of their time was spent in the qualify in, in a training course. That's nuts, right? Literally, I think NASA can build an astronaut in less than two years. Literally. You know, and so we fell victim to it ourselves. And that's what we've had. To, we've, we've, we've learned that lesson. and That's what we've kind of had to unwind over the past three years is getting our course back to where we need it to be. And, and we think we're there right now.
1: And I I love sharing these friendships, guys like you with this audience. Most of the time we're relying on the audience to take what we're talking about in our very specific positions in special forces, special ops, um, and, and, and pulling out lessons for themselves. But what, but one of those that I want to emphasize and, and not just allow for people to, to realize on their own is when you say, keep it simple. One of one, and one of the, the easiest things to think through is just never quit. You said it, I, I guess if I had to pick one thing, how did I get through basic airborne special forces, Rangers, get to the unit, everything. And honestly, Stu, that's the thing that gets in the way as we move towards retirement, because sometimes it feels like we're quitting, you know, but if, if, if you're going to be successful in life in anything, it's never quit. And while we may be overachievers in the careers that we've chosen, how many of us quit on our marriages? And quite honestly, we don't quit on our families, but we feel like, oh, it's too late. It's never too late. If you don't quit, it's never too late.
2: It's it's only too late if you give up hope. In my opinion, and whatever it is, right. And as long as there's a thread of hope there, then it's never too late. You know. And and to me, hope is a choice you make. And here's another thing. You know. So we run. We also run Seer School: Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. Right. Which you went through as well. And that's a that's a pretty for the listeners out there. That's kind of like where hey, you know guys who go through the course they learn if you watch the show like naked and afraid let's put it that way you know no, no one gets naked but you're learning like how to live off the land how to survive how to make fires because the idea is what how do you survive if you're lost behind enemy lines right you got to be able to survive off the land you've got to be able to, to escape people who are trying to and evade people trying to capture you and in the worst cases, you get captured right like what do you do when you get captured and so the seer cadre there um, and how do you survive, you know, captivity? Well, they've built relationships with a lot of the POW survivors from Vietnam, you know, guys that spent years in captivity uh in North Vietnam. And when you ask some of those survivors, like, hey, the POWs, you were you were in the same conditions, like what what do you guys uh did you notice anything that distinguished those who survived captivity versus those who died in captivity? And they said, Yeah, to a man, they'll say, the only reason we survived is because we never gave up hope. And like amongst our our friends and our comrades that were captured, a lot of the guys that died is like we could tell, like they gave up hope and like the will to live then, you know what I mean? And they end up passing away, right? But the guys that that maintained hope were able to persevere and endure uh, and ultimately, you know, come home.
1: You, we can get all complicated about what these different faith traditions are. You know, you and I, you and I share that the same faith tradition and, you know, followers of Jesus. And I, I think get, again, simplifying our faith, it's that through him and his life, he has provided hope for all of us. And it just gets really complicated and convoluted and muddled and, yeah. you know, all these things get involved with it but but if that that is the underlying message is there is hope for everyone for more
2: there is and i'll say this too jeff if we want to kind of pull on the the religious and the christian thread i i'll say this you know in full disclosure you know i've always been a christian but i haven't always been a christian right i was i was raised in a christian household my mother is a devout 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 lutheran you know and I was raised that way for sure. Um, but I'll tell you this: I think we know, especially once you get into in the business we've been in, um, we often reward self reliance. Hmm. You know, we we start to gain a certain confidence with ourselves over time, right? That like, yeah, I'm I'm really I can do all this. I've done this. I've done that we tend to be thinkers as well, right? We we think about the world, we reflect, and then it becomes very easy. This is my personal story for what it's worth too, though, right? To to, to kind of question things, right? And, and even the existence of God, you go through there through certain challenging times, you know? You even, you know, I, I went through that phase where I literally started to question. I could probably honestly say there was probably a, a period of, a short period, maybe a year or more, where I probably, I was too afraid to say it, but I was probably an atheist. I didn't want to, you know, I questioned the existence of God, Because there are a lot of questions that I I couldn't be answered in my mind. And then I finally realized, dude, you're an idiot, man. Like that's the whole point, right? Like you're so arrogant that you think, uh, you know, that it has to make, the world has to make sense in the context of man and what God does and what God knows is beyond man's comprehension, A. And B, just take a look at your life for a second, And the fact that you're even here today and all these other things that have happened to think that like God wasn't there watching over you each and every second of, you know what I mean? Like there's no doubt, right? There's no doubt. And so I, I mean, my story is, it was like the amazing thing was God was loyal and faithful to me even when I wasn't loyal and faithful to him necessarily. And I think that's the awesome part as well, right? He's always there for you even when you're not there for him.
1: Yeah. Guilty, guilty is charged. Um Stu, we are already coming up on time for this first session. Will you stick around with us and come back tomorrow for
2: a for another another session? Hey Jeff, one hundred percent it's my pleasure, man. I'll come back as, as often as you guys will have. Me.
1: <laughs> well I I want to encourage everybody to tune in tomorrow to the Victor Mark Show to hear more from Colonel Stuart Ferris. So We got to know him a little bit and about his career. But if you've been listening at all, there are some incredible insights that translate from from what he's learned assessing, selecting men and women to be in harm's way and how you survive that and how you succeed with day-to-day challenges that we all deal with. So again, I want to invite you to tune in tomorrow for the next edition of The Victor Mark Show.